Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20. If you're using one of the hardbacks from uh, at the table out front, you should find it on page 929. While you're turning there, let me just sort of remind you uh, where we are, what we're doing, what we're, this series we're in the middle of um, right now. Uh, we're focusing this year on, on aiming towards particularization. That's that's fancy Presbyterian word for grow up, become your own church, and have your own elders. Uh, so particularization is easier, I guess, than even saying that. So that's where we're headed, uh, which it means, in part, we're preaching now a, a five or six week series through uh, the offices, elder and deacon. And, and last week we looked at John 10 and Christ as the chief shepherd. And so this week... Uh, we will look at the office of elder next week, Lord willing, another sermon on the office of elder, and then we'll turn our attention to deacons. So Acts chapter 20, it's our practice here at Grace Covenant to stand when we read God's word. Somebody ask that you do that now. Beginning in verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent, he is Paul there, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, He said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when He had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray. And we pray, O Holy Spirit, as the One who inspired these words, as the One who has preserved these words for us, uh, that You would now, in, in Your function, in Your responsibility within the Godhead, be at work in our own hearts through and by these words. Teach us, grow us, and conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Not long after we moved to Athens, probably a month, month and a half, it wasn't long at all after we moved here, that Lucas and I had to make a trip back to Oxford. We had purchased a chair and a couch, two chairs and a couch, and and there may have been other things too. I I don't exactly remember. I remember we had a list. I I just remember knowing that we had this list of things that we had to accomplish. So we drove, got up early and drove back to Oxford. I actually had to stop in Tupelo and pick up chairs and go back to Oxford and pick up a couch, and there was a U-Haul involved and all this sort of stuff, and, and Lucas was homeschooling and had the freedom uh, at the time to just go for the day with me. I, I don't remember what else there was. I know on his want to do was to kind of swing by his school and see his classmates, and there were other things we had to do as well. At some point during the day, we said something that we then said later on the phone to Nancy, and now is just a regular part of life in the Hooker household. It's a phrase we use all the time. At some point, Lucas and I realized we had gotten most of everything done before lunch. And we kind of celebrated and rejoiced in that a little bit. And boldly, confidently announced, we are knocking stuff off the list. And now that's sort of the, the phrase where I'm getting things accomplished. I'm doing the things I know I'm supposed to do. Some of you are list makers. Some of you will, will go, right, now what are all the things I have to do? And you'll make that list so that you can knock things off the list. But just the sheer joy of knowing you're scratching something off the list. What's on an elder's list? If you're going to have an elder and you're going to give him a list of things that he has to do, what would be on that list? First of all, I've got bad news for you. You never actually knock anything off the list. But there is still a list of of things that, that an elder should be doing. What does an elder do? This passage actually gives us the list. The list is here. It's it's clear for you in the passage that we just read. And there are four things that an elder must do. First of all, an elder sits. An elder sits. I want you to look at verse 17. There's a a key word in verse 17. It, It appears over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. It's the word... Elders. That word's plural. That word's not singular. Churches, Paul gives the instruction to, to Timothy at, at first pres in Ephesus and to Titus at first pres in Crete to go and, and appoint elders, plural. The, the goal is that you have more than one elder. There's not 
just one elder at any given congregation. The goal is to have more than one elder. Maybe you think to yourself, some of you have actually communicated this to me. When you think of elder, the first thing that comes to your mind, maybe we solved some of this last week in John 10, maybe. But the first thing that comes to your mind is the idea of rule, of governing. Their job is to to rule and govern the church, to lead the church. That's, That's part of where we get this old Scottish word, session. The elders together are a session. They lead, they govern together. They rule together. No one elder has rule. They have rule only together as a session. Congress is in session. That means they're all there in the House or in the Senate. And they're seated there to vote and to lead and to govern. Court is in session. That means everyone that needs to be there is there. The judge is there to sit and preside over the court. The idea of a church session, that group of elders, the elders that that God raises up at Grace Covenant, they will be a session when they are together. They sit together to lead and govern and rule in that sense. That's a it's a it's a it's a function of them together as a group. They're not completely autonomous. They're not really independent regents of a church. They're more like vice regents. Christ is the king. They're subject to Christ. And yet they rule, hopefully in in accordance with God's word, accordance with wisdom from the Holy Spirit, to rule and lead and govern the church. We get this in 1 Timothy 5, when elders are mentioned there as rulers, and particularly those who rule well. So part of an elder's job description, part of the responsibility of elders, an elder sits. He sits to rule and govern and lead the church. This has implications, by the way. We'll touch on these somewhere else along the way. But this has implications for being able to work with other people and, and humility and, and uh, working with others, praying together with others, recognizing that there is a, a, a group, a session that has oversight and leadership of the local church. An elder sits. An elder doesn't just sit, though. This passage also shows us that an elder also stands. Did you notice verse 20 and 21? Paul didn't shrink from declaring all that was profitable, teaching publicly and from house to house. Or verse 25, Paul again speaks of of proclaiming the kingdom and boldly doing so. We see it in verse 28 or 30 and 31. Again, there's, there's this idea of teaching and giving oversight to the flock and bringing God's word to bear on the church. Paul practiced the function, responsibility of, of standing, of teaching. It doesn't mean that 
teaching only happens when you're standing in front of a class. It just means, I'm using the word really to, to refer to standing on truth, standing on God's word, standing on, on the, the truth of scripture and proclaiming, teaching, applying that to the lives of our people. Elders are responsible for, for teaching and training the flock in scripture, in doctrine, in Christian living. They are called to, to teach the body publicly and privately. Maybe not all are as gifted to stand in front of a, a large audience and teach that way, but all should be able to, to teach in homes, to teach over lunch with an individual or in whatever setting. You see Paul's example of, of teaching these elders, of teaching the flock in Ephesus, his example of, of teaching in a variety of settings, a variety of contexts. It may not be a Sunday morning. In fact, for Paul it wasn't. He was proclaiming publicly, but then he's home to home. He's sitting around the table with families. He's teaching the dads. He's teaching the wives. He's, he's teaching children. He's teaching everyone in a variety of settings. He essentially instructs these elders to do just that in verses 26 to 30. There's a warning that false teachers are going to come into the church, even from among these men. False teachers are going to come in and entice, drag away the flock. It's the elders' responsibility to stand on truth to teach and proclaim that truth to the body, to warn them of the dangers of these fierce wolves, to, to guard and keep their understanding that they might not wander and stray. Shepherds don't just sit back and watch as wolves come and endanger their flock. Instead, part of their job is to, to protect the flock in that sense. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder also runs. I have this vivid memory. John was probably, before Lucas was born, John was, I guess, not yet two. Maybe Lucas was in the stroller and John was walking. All I know is that Nancy and I were walking and there was a stroller. And as we were walking, there was this scream. There was this sound of a girl's voice yelling. She was in distress. You couldn't tell exactly what was going on. And then you realize there are dogs barking also. And as I looked up the street, it occurred to me that this girl was walking her dog and another dog had attacked her dog. My, my memory is... Nancy take the stroller and I took off running as fast as I could. It's not that fast, but I, I did what I could. When I was playing baseball as a teenager, my coaches timed me with calendars, not with stopwatches. The, the, she eventually got away and, and before I ever got there, I had this fear. What if this dog turns on her? Can I help her? 
what does an elder do when, or what does a shepherd do when he takes his sheep out into the field to eat, to drink, and a wolf slowly wanders out of the woods, grabs one of the sheep and starts to drag it away? Does the shepherd sit back and watch? Does he, does he kind of half-heartedly meander towards the sheep and kind of go, well, maybe I'll save it, maybe I won't? No, a shepherd runs to beat the wolf, to save the sheep, to protect his flock. There's a, <clears throat> a picture here of an elder that should be able to, to run after his flock, to run after his sheep. We see in verse 29 this warning of fierce wolves coming in among the flock in Ephesus. The flock won't be spared. The sheep are in danger. Even some of the own elders, some of the elders, it appears, will speak twisted things. An elder's job is to run, to pursue his sheep, to keep them, to guard them, to protect them, to keep them from being dragged away and enticed by that which is false, by these fierce wolves. An elder runs. An elder runs after his sheep. An elder runs to to defend, to keep away false teachers. We see this pictured in Luke 15, that, that picture of the, the, the lost sheep and the pursuit of the shepherd until he finds that one. That's, that's the image for us here even in Acts 20. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs. But notice lastly, an elder also kneels. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 is fascinating to me. I expected something different. I expected Paul to commend God's word to the people, to the shepherds. I expected to hear, now let me urge you to commit yourself to the truth of Scripture. Let me commend God and His word to you. That's not what he says. He instead commends His people to God. Paul's leaving. He's told them, I'm never going to see you again. I have no expectation that you and I will ever meet on this earth again. Paul's convinced he's going to prison at least, probably death. And he's not going to see these elders again. And what he does is he he says, what I will do, what I can do is pray for you. I'm commending you to God. I'm turning you over, even as elders, to His care, to His love, to His shepherding. Praying admits at its heart, praying the moment you start to pray, whether you recognize it or not, praying admits we can't. Praying admits we don't know. Praying admits 
I, I'm, I, I don't understand. Praying, by definition, is an act of humbly coming to a God who is wiser, who knows more, who loves more, who cares more, and is more able than we are. Paul commends even these elders to God. And the last thing they did together, verse 36 and 37, is to to kneel down and to pray together. They knelt down and, and He prayed with them all. And they wept, they cried, they hugged, they kissed. When we pray for the needs of others, we're putting them in God's care. When we pray for others, we're entrusting them to the care of an all-knowing, all-loving, all-sovereign God. An elder must pray. An elder kneels. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs, and an elder kneels. Notice verse 28 these men have come to an office that is ordained by God. He has called them to this office. He has brought them to this office. He's made them overseers in this church, in the church in Ephesus. Man didn't do that. God made you overseers. Verse 28. We readily admit that as fallen, broken, sinful men, we are totally dependent. Even as elders, even as shepherds of the church, they too are totally dependent on the loving care of the one true good shepherd. Which means an elder prays for himself as well as for the flock. He prays for his own needs. He prays for his own care, his own commitment to God's Word, his own love for Christ, his own love for the flock, as he prays for them as well. We recognize that that we're helpless, that we're in need of Christ to care for us, to watch over us, to guard and protect us. Elders must therefore be regularly commending the flock to God and to His Word, to the Word of His grace. An elder should be regularly and faithfully commending the flock to God and to the Word of His grace. An elder sits, an elder stands, an elder runs, and an elder kneels. There's one other question I want to ask of this passage before we get too far. That's what an elder does. Where does an elder dwell? Where should an elder dwell? Where does he live? Where is he supposed to be? Notice verse 32. As Paul commends these elders to God and to the Word of grace... These men must live close to God. They must live their lives close to God and to His Word of grace. They're committed 
to Scripture. They're committed to the truth of God's Word. They're committed to Christ. They live close to God. How can, how can an elder teach Scripture that he doesn't know? How can he properly apply God's Word if he doesn't even know God's Word? If he doesn't know and understand God and His, His will and His Word, His proclamation of salvation, faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone. An elder can't teach those things unless he first knows them. He must dwell close to God. But secondly, he must also dwell close to his people. There's a a picture here throughout this passage. Both of Paul knowing the people in Ephesus and then therefore the urge to, the command to elders as, as well, to know both the physical and the spiritual needs of the body. They're teaching and applying God's Word. That doesn't mean you only live with God's Word. It means you know your people so that you can bring that Word to bear on their lives. You you see it in verse 28. The word used for elder there. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. To save you the time and the trouble, verse 17, elders, that's the office. Verse 28, overseers, that's in essence the job description. And, and it's literally the Greek word, for, Greek word for oversee. I mean, we did in English exactly what the Greeks did with look over, to overlook. And, and it's someone who watches over and cares for the needs of the flock. Some of your versions may say bishop instead of overseer. It's the same word. It's one who dwells with and knows and oversees and cares for the needs of the flock. An elder must dwell close to God. An intimate relationship with Christ. And an elder must dwell with his people, with the flock, so that he can bring that word to bear on their lives. Let me make a a few applications from this passage. Some of them are going to be painfully obvious. Some of them may be uh, not so obvious. First, uh, uh, one of the obvious applications of this passage, when the day comes for us to elect our own elders, these are the kinds of men you're looking for. These are the kinds of people that you will be looking for, to choose, to select, to be elders at Grace Covenant Church. Men who can sit together and lead together, but who will stand for truth, who will run to guard and protect the flock, and who who spend frequent time on their knees before Christ. A second application, maybe, maybe you aspire to that office. Maybe you feel called, led to that office. Do these things mark your life? Are you committed to the flock and to the truth of Scripture and to, to prayer and to commending the flock to God? A third application, maybe you're thinking to yourself, but Jeff, I'm never going to be an elder here. I mean, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm never going to be an elder. What does this have to do with me? Or, or I'm so young. I'm years and years and years away from ever being an elder. I'm only 10. I mean, give me a break. Cut me some slack. 
maybe you're thinking that that's just so far away. What, what does this have to do with me? Well, this third application, standing, running, and kneeling are on every believer's list. If you're waking up in the morning and go, what should I do today? What's on my to-do list? What, what, what are the things I can knock off my list? Well, your list too never has, never, is never empty. You're never done. Technically, sitting, I mean, standing, running, and kneeling are on every believer's list. We're all committed to the truth of God's Word. We're all called to know and understand God's Word, to be able to restore those who wander from the faith, who are being led astray. Galatians 6.1 doesn't say when, when someone wanders, call the elders. It says, you who are spiritual, restore them to faith. We all have that that responsibility to care for and to, to know each other, to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to live close to God and close to others. We're, we're not allowed biblically to live on an island by ourselves. In many ways, these commands are given to all of us. In many ways, we're all called to stand for truth, to run, to to. To, to stave off false teachers and to guard and protect our brothers and sisters in Christ and to pray, to pray for others. Maybe you're thinking, well, the elders are, they're super Christians. They're the ones who have it mastered. They're the ones who never sin. They're the ones who, who have it all down. Or for that matter, when you become an elder, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, um, uh, I forget the name of the movie now, but the, the, when you become the president, you learn some secrets. That if you go in the Library of Congress and look in the right place, there's actually a secret president's book so that you learn some things that nobody else knows. Like, like when you become an elder, there's a 67th book of the Bible you get that nobody else gets. The reality is, an elder differs in these gifts in degree, not in kind. We're all called to know God's Word. We're all called to run to protect our brothers and sisters, to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which reminds me of the fourth application of this passage. Which is the reality that in light of last week's passage, that Christ is the only true good shepherd. Your elders will fail you. you elders, your elders will make mistakes. Your elders, they'll sin. We all have the beauty and comfort of a great high priest, a, a true shepherd, a good shepherd, the good shepherd who guards and protects us, who rules over us, who stands on truth and proclaims that truth to us, who guards and protects us from all His and our enemies, and who's actually prayed for you. Believer, take comfort there. Your Savior prayed for you in John 17. And right now, He ever lives above for me to intercede. That's what Christ is doing for you now as your good shepherd.
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are right now interceding for us. Weak-minded, prone to wander, wrestling with doubt, not trusting You, looking at the world around us and thinking, boy, that sure does look more enticing than this Christian life sometimes. The things of this world will glitter and gleam in our eye and draw us away from the truth of Scripture. Father, we pray that You would shepherd us to Christ. That You would draw us to Christ. That You would point us to Christ. That You would guard and protect us from the wolves that will drag us away into untruth. Even those wolves that sure sound like sheep. That sure sound like the shepherd. Father, would you guard us? Would you protect us? And we pray that you would, by your word, by the work of the Spirit in our lives, that you would raise up men qualified for this office of elder here at Grace Covenant Church. We long for you to do that in our midst. Through Christ we ask it. Amen.